think you're awake after that. Did you like that music? We got the students here. Yay. Yay for the students sitting in here. They were in the last service, too. Always glad to have you guys. Appreciate you coming back every year. We're glad to see all of you today. Welcome. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online today. We're always glad to see you as well. I'm just glad that you're here because we've been talking about pursuit. Everybody say pursuit. Pursuit. And when I say pursuit, what do you think of? What? What would you say? Changing? Chasing. Yeah, that's a good one. Chasing. Kind of like the police do sometimes, right? They're in pursuit, right? So, But we want to be in a different kind of pursuit. I, I'm sorry, I can't hear, so it's my fault. But, but anyway, we want to talk about that today. And today we want to talk about what it means to pursue approval. Now, do we have any people pleasers here today? How many of you just raised your hands because I asked you that and you wanted to please me? <laughs> so you just put your hand up. You really aren't a people pleaser, but you were. You kind of led in that direction at that moment, right? And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to open up by telling you a story. Now, listen. This is about a, an old, old, old movie that probably many of you have never seen, but it's a true story. It's a great story, and it's about a Tennessee, and I'm from Tennessee, so I care about that. There's a guy named Sergeant Alvin York. Anybody ever seen the movie? It's really, really old. It's about World War I. Now, listen, I was not alive during World War I, okay? I'm just, I just want to... <laughs> I want to make that clear. I may look like it. I wasn't even here for World War II, okay, just saying. But World War I, great hero. Now, this guy was lost as a ball in high weeds. He really was. He didn't know Jesus. Then he got saved dramatically. As a result of that, he was a conscientious objector. He didn't even want to go fight because the Bible said don't kill anybody. So he didn't want to kill anybody. But he was genuine in his faith. He ended up going. He ended up becoming a hero because he was trying to save lives. He and just a few other Americans captured hundreds of Germans, and he got all kinds of medals, came back home, and it was an amazing story. Now, if you've never seen the movie, you know, take a week sometime and watch it. It's kind of a long film, okay? So what you might want to do is watch sections of it at a time. But what I want to tell you is Laura and I went to Paul Mall, Tennessee, P-A-L-L-M-A-L-L, Paul Mall, Tennessee. It's up on the Tennessee-Kentucky line. I used to commute that way going to graduate school. And so one week, coming and going, when I was a senior, Laura and I drove up, and we you got to be going to Paul Mall to get there, by the way. You don't just pass through. And so we drove over into Paul Mall in this little valley, and it's like the movie. I mean, the store, in the early 80s, the store was still there. The telephone was still on the wall. And we met his son. Now, Alvin York had died by this time, but he had a house that the people of the state of Tennessee gave him, he and his wife, and his family, and so back when he was living, if you went to the house, knocked on the door, and he was there, he would invite you in, come in, sit down, visit with him, talk to him. He had died since then. His wife was still living, but they were remodeling the house, so she wasn't in it at the time, but his kids still lived around there. One of them was a park ranger. We met him. He named his kids after presidents of the United States. I'm not making this up. We met Andrew Jackson York and talked to him. And he was a park ranger, and he had this little little closet in this little mill, and he would show us pictures of York and of Pastor Pyle and all the people you see in the movie. And it was very, very real. It was genuine. He told us where his daddy was buried, his mom, and they were in a cemetery by the Methodist church up there. 
We visited with him. If you ask him a question, he would answer your question. He would not embellish anything. He was very unassuming. He would just tell you exactly what you asked. Sometimes if you ask him something, he was like, I'm not sure what you're driving at, what you want to know. You know, you had to be more specific, and then he would just answer that, and that was it. But simple people, wonderful people, salt of the earth folks. It was great. Now, here's the point. The reason I told you that is because Alvin York was in love with a girl named Gracie, and he wanted to marry her. And so he thought, because he lived up in the hills and the the, the produce and everything that you could develop there, the things, the crops that you could grow, there were a lot of rocks, and it wasn't as fertile as the bottom land, the valley land. That's where you could grow better crops, get a better return on your investment. So he thought, if I could just get a piece of bottom land, then this girl would be impressed, and she'd want to marry me because I'd be a good provider. And that's what he was trying to do. She, he didn't know that she just loved him anyway. She didn't really care what he had, but, but that's what he was going after. What he was trying to do was please her. And he really was driven to get that land so that he might be able to please her. The way God worked it all out, he ended up getting the land. The people of the state of Tennessee gave him a farm, and he was able to marry her when he came back from war. It all worked out. But it's an amazing story. It was fascinating to go there and learn about it. Now, the reason I want us to focus on that today is because there's a lot of reasons that you and I can be people pleasers. We may not realize it, but we can be. And it can be a small thing or a big thing. And sometimes it's not always the best motivation. Now listen, all of us live in this tension of wanting to be a good witness. We want to be approachable. We want to be friendly. We want to reach out to people and help them come to know Christ. We want to be available, as Donna Sue was talking about this week, as she was able to witness to them. But then also, we want to kind of draw the line where we're just living to please people because we really are called to live to please God. And so you've got to find some kind of balance in all of that. And that's what I want to talk about today in this pursuit for approval. Number one, we want to, we want to be approved by God, right? Amen? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. And then we want to try to help people as well. Now, the disease... To please is an addiction. Did you know that? Just like a drug addict is, is addicted to drugs, people pleasers can be addicted to approval. And, and if you don't realize that, you know, there's a struggle. So there are three things that we battle. Now, this is for you to take a little quick test, okay? Are you ready? Don't panic. It'll be okay. This won't go on your permanent record or anything. I'm just going to give you some way that you can kind of get this in your mind, okay? You obsess about what other people think. That's the number one thing that happens in your life. If you're obsessed about what other people think. In other words, when you show up, you say, do you like my new outfit? Do you like the music I listen to? Did you see my post? Did you like my post? Why aren't you responding? Are you listening to me? Why is it taking so long? Is, are, are, we in, are we having a hard time, a problem here? Is everything okay? And we obsess about what they think. The time that I focus on what, what folks think it's when I get through preaching. You know, a preacher, the most vulnerable time for a preacher is right before a sermon and right after. I don't know if you know that or not. Some people say to me on Sunday morning, did you read the paper this morning? No, no, I didn't read the paper this morning. I'm focused on a project right here, okay? And so I'll get through preaching and I'll go to Laura and I'll say, how'd I do? Now, why do I care what Laura thinks about how I do, okay? 
Well, because other people just suck up to me and say, yeah, you're great, you know, and other people don't care, and they say you're terrible, okay? Well, I don't really need that. I need honest feedback, and I know that Laura will give it to me. And so I go to Laura, and she's the one that counts, and I ask her, and she'll tell me. And sometimes she tells me stuff between the first and the second service, and I'll try to make it better in the second service because I always listen to what she says as God intended, right? That's right. Okay. So, you know, that's a time that I'm vulnerable, right before I preach and right after. And so that's kind of a sensitive area for me. I can relate. Now, second, you're often overly sensitive to criticism. You know, if you struggle with criticism, your supervisor gives you a little direction. He says, you did 15 things right. Here's one thing you might want to work on, and you fall apart, right? Or let's say that you get a negative comment and you give a little difficult pushback there. Let's say that your child tells you what they really think about your parenting skills and you just want to give up, right? Let's say 100 people say something positive to you. One person says something negative, and that's what you focus on. So, you know, we're built that way. We're drawn to really care what people think about us. Okay, the third thing is you have a hard time saying no. Anybody in here have a hard time saying no? Yeah. Have a hard time saying yes? <laughs> yes, I have a hard time saying no, okay? Well, when you're obsessed with what other people think, what happens is that you want to please them so bad that sometimes you'll say yes when you really mean, I don't want to do that, right? And so you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and so you'll do things like that. Let me give you an example. Let's say that somebody shows up at your house a child in elementary school, and they're selling wrapping paper. What do you do? You buy wrapping paper. You buy more wrapping paper than you need. You just sometimes buy them out because you're so impressed this kid's trying to raise money that you want to help them out, and so you buy wrapping paper that you're never going to use. You buy a subscription to magazines that you're never going to read. Or what else do you do? What, you go to this party that you're dreading because somebody invited you and you don't want to let them down, and so you go. Or girls, if you say yes to a guy that you really don't want to go out with, but you don't want to hurt his feelings, and so you say yes, maybe he'll get it out of his system, and maybe I'll be obnoxious enough, he won't ask me again, and so then you go out with him, but you really don't want to go. Why do you, well, you have a hard time saying no. Some of you are overcommitted all of the time. Somebody asks you, can you help me out? You say, sure, I can help you out. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, why not? I don't have anything else to do. But you find yourself overcommitted. Now, Scripture talks about this in Proverbs, the 29th chapter. And here's what it says. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Now, what's that mean, fear of man? Well, it's being too concerned about what people think about me. I'm obsessing about what people think about me. And if I just focus on pleasing the Lord, I'll be kept safe. And so I've got good news for you. Whoever trusts in God, you're going to be safe. Now today we're talking about chasing approval, fearing what people think. It's a trap, it's a snare, and, and it's something that can be very destructive. And so I want you to understand something. In this series, this is not just a relational problem. The sermons I've preached in the past and today and next week, this is a spiritual issue. The real heart and the root of this is not just about people. It's really a spiritual issue. And so when you become so obsessed with what people think, it's the fastest way to forget, well, what does God think? 
because I just want to please my peers. I've got friends, and I want to keep my friends happy. Well, that's great until what pleases your friends goes against what pleases God, and then you've got to make a decision. Way back in the day when I was in high school, sometime after World War II, okay, I was in high school, and, and what happened was I got saved. I became a Christian, and so I, I was in this youth group, right? And back then, you could go, our, our youth group was pretty active, and we would go around Middle Tennessee, and we would actually get to go into high schools, and we would do programs. We would sing, and, and we would share and give witnesses. Back then, you could do that. And we went to Nashville, and we made an album that's a really big CD, okay? For those of you who are not familiar, it's called a record. You thought, a record? I thought a record was like when you broke somebody's speed record or something. No, no, a record is like this old-timey thing. Vinyl, how about that? You know vinyl, don't you? Okay, so we made this record, but also I'm this athlete. So I'm growing up, I'm playing baseball, I'm playing basketball, I play football. And so when I get saved, I'm a junior in high school, and I take all the football boys in the locker room, and I witness to them. I think they're just going to laugh me out of the locker room, but they don't. To my surprise, they're very polite, and they listen, and they see that I'm serious, and they say, that's great for you, but I'm just not ready to do that yet. But later on, some of them came to me, and they said, okay, I made that decision, and I wanted you to know I became a Christian. Two of those guys, one became a Christian. He later got married. He teaches Sunday school today. Another one became a Christian, got married, and he is, became a minister ultimately later on in life. And so you never know that seed that you plant, what's going to come from that, right? And so, but I wanted to witness to them. Now, I was really struggling in high school because I was, I was with the popular group. Yeah, just look at me. Don't I look popular? I was with the popular kids. I mean, I was an athlete. One time, no, I won't tell you that story. Okay, but here's what happened, all right? So the deal is that I was really struggling between the two groups of people and trying to really decide. But then what I realized was, you know, hey, if I stand up for God, and I tell people what I think, and I practice that, and they see that I live that, you know, I can be a leader. And other people might be drawn closer to God because of me. Not because I want the credit. I just want to be used by God. And, and, you know, God does it anyway. I just get a front row seat to watch him work. God's working in somebody else's life. He's just working through me as an instrument. So it was a great blessing to see that happen. And I'm so grateful those guys made commitments. And so I'm looking for the will of God, the purpose of God, the glory of God. Now, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and here's what he said. Obviously... I am, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant, okay? Now, here's what I want you to see. When Paul is talking to the people at Galatia, the Galatians, he, he's, got, he's got clout with them, okay? These people are listening to him. He's got credit with them because they've watched him live, because they've seen how he lives and what he does, they listen to what he says. They said, you know, anybody that's been thrown in prison multiple times for his faith, I'm going to pay attention to what he says. Anybody who's been shipwrecked and left for dead, I want to know what he thinks about God. If you've been shunned by your entire former peer group, all the religious leaders that he was a part of before he became a Christian, and you're still living for Christ, hey, I want to know what he says. So you're not living for the approval of people. You're living for the approval of God. Now, you care about people. You're trying to witness to them all the time. But you're living. Your motivation is for God. 
Obviously, I'm not living for the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So to be a servant means that you are under someone or something. And so are you going to place yourself under the approval of people? Because if you live for the approval of people, you can't live for the approval of God. You can't do both. You can't do both. You'll be miserable. If you look at my picture, my junior year in the yearbook of high school, before I committed my life to Christ, if you looked at my picture, I was the most miserable person around. Because when I was 10 years old, I accepted Christ, but then I'd fallen away from him. And I knew what it was like to be a Christian. I just wasn't living for him. And I had my Christian friends praying for me. There's five guys from my home church that went in the ministry. And they were all watching me and saying, well, he's out of it again. And they were praying for me and trying to help me. And, you know, then I, I, I changed my life. God changed my life. I went to a Bible study, a small group at a college, and it changed everything for me. Well, if you put yourself in that position, you got to decide, hey, am I going to live for people or am I going to live for God? You can't live for both. Now, let's have a little honest conversation about this just between us, okay? Nobody else will know. We're just talking to us together. Let's have a little honest conversation. The truth is we are all drawn to pleasing other people. It's in our nature to want to do that. And part of that's okay if it just doesn't go too far. I want to talk about two facts that, that you can identify in this disease to please, okay? First of all, people-pleasing is a form of idolatry. People-pleasing is a form of idolatry. Now, last week we talked about this. We said there were 613 Levitical laws. What am I talking about? Well, you know, we got the Ten Commandments, right? That's in the Old Testament. But then what happened was that the, the religious people of the day, they said, well, you know, to live and follow the Ten Commandments, we need some more guidelines to follow. So let's come up with 613 laws to help us follow the Ten Commandments. Aren't you glad you don't have to do that? Because I'm telling you, if you've got to follow 613 laws, you're just sinning all the time. Zippity-doo-dah, just like that. You're going, I just messed up, forgive me, I just messed up, forgive me, I just messed up, forgive me, right? And so, because you can't, you can't live for the law. And so that's what they were doing. And, and one of those first Ten Commandments is, don't have any gods before me. God is a jealous God. And so you're thinking, <clears throat> well, I don't have any gods before God. Excuse me just a moment. Think about that for just a moment. Ponder it, will you? Okay. So you're saying, I don't have any idols. No, you don't have any idols. Why? Because when you go to your house, there's not any of these little dolls or figurines or anything in there that you're bowing down worshiping, right? And you're thinking, okay, I'm good on idolatry. Everything's great. But if you're pursuing, if you're spending time with, if you're chasing after anything more than God, guess what? You're guilty of idolatry. That's right. And we see that God is a jealous God. What does he mean by that? He means that his, our sole purpose is to see our identity and our heart and our affection and our thoughts and everything else in our lives, all that has to come behind God. He's got to be number one. And so he wants to get our attention in order that he gets our hearts and minds so that we don't practice idolatry. Now, have you seen, have you seen uh, The Chosen? <clears throat> have you seen that? See, if you come to my house and you've got the right kind of remote, 
which I do, and you push this little button and you say, YouTube, and it just comes up, YouTube, ta-da. And then I say, The Chosen, and boom, The Chosen comes up, and so I get to watch it. And it's great because it's Jesus and the disciples, and you get to see Jesus perform miracles. And it's just wonderful. I love it, and it's just so well done. I, I think it's really tremendous. Now, if you're watching that and you're thinking about it, you see that there, there are two groups of people. There are people who don't know Jesus, but they come to know Jesus. And then there's these other folks who are really wrapped up in their faith, but it's a religious-type, law-type thing. And so here's the deal. They've got all these peers, like Paul had at one time. And they've got all these peers, and they're trying to please their peers. Well, their peers are saying, we got to do something about Jesus, man. He, he is getting the audience that we need. He, he's, he's, he's cutting into our market. We don't need that. This, everybody's listening to him. They're not listening to us anymore. We got to get rid of him. And you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I got to make a decision because here's my peer group saying do this. And then here's Jesus over here saying do this. And I'm really drawn to Jesus. But what am I going to do about my peer group? Because if I say no to them and yes to Jesus, they're going to say no to me and I'm going to be left out, right? And so I got to make a decision. It's not just what's happening today. It was happening back then. And so you had to make a decision. What are you going to do? And what does Jesus do? He just comes around and he heals the blind. He comes around and he heals the lame. He says, stand up and walk. And they do. He says, hey, listen, leprosy, please heal me. And Jesus heals them. People are dead. He raises them from the dead. Listen, if Jesus came to you and you're sitting there watching him raise somebody from the dead, he would get your attention. <laughs> You'd be going, okay. I don't see that every day. I want to follow this guy. I don't care what they say. I'm going to go in his direction. And so Jesus wanted us to know what idolatry is. And in John, it says this. But because the Pharisees, they, of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear, they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. In other words, I'm going to be excommunicated from the church if I follow Jesus. Now, that's a pretty strong thing. And how am I going to make that decision? Idolatry is whenever you want anything more than you want your creator. Now, it doesn't start with just big stuff. It can be little stuff as well. Choosing your behavior based on what other people think of you is idolatry, and it hurts the heart of God. People-pleasing is a form of idolatry. But I've got some good news. And this is the second thought about the disease to please. Number two, the approval of God sets us free from the disease to please. In other words, I'm just looking for the single hand clap of God. It doesn't really matter what other people think or how they feel. But what they're saying is, hey, I just want to please God once and for all, his approval. And it's just the key to be liberated from the bondage of trying to please others. And then in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God, who tests our hearts. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. 
And so he's just saying, like I said, I get a front row seat to watch God work. I just want to be your instrument today, Lord. I want you to save people. I just want to watch. And so I'll just be there and I'll say what you want me to say and I'll do what you want me to say and I'll try to live your way so that others might be drawn to you. And if that's in my spirit and in my heart, then what happens is, is I don't worry so much about my group anymore. I don't worry so much about my peer group. You get everything right to please God and then everything else falls into place. And when we please God, we do it because Jesus has died for us. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We're new. We're not just better. We're new creations. And so then we become absolutely changed. And if you think your worth is based on anything but God, you're wrong. It's not based on your neighbors or your family or your coworkers. It's based on your relationship with Jesus and just trusting him. Every chronic sin struggle exist it has a singular cause somewhere along the way you and i bought into a lie and the lie comes from the pit from the enemy and he tells us hey listen don't worry about jesus just try to be popular don't worry just try to get along with people don't don't be listen you don't have to say no to jesus just don't say yes to him put it off you know take your time because there's no rush really you can do this anytime you know i'm i'm just guess how old I am. Go ahead. We have time. I am how old? Anybody want to just shout it out? Go ahead. I, I'm tough. I can take it. How old do you think I am? 62. Well, you get extra credit. Anybody else? There's no brave people in here. Okay. What? 64. Robert knows how old I am. I'm 64. That's right. And I may look older, but I'm just 64. One of my guys that I grew up with, I went to high school with, died this year. One of the guys that I grew up with, hung out with, spent time with, he died this year, 64. And, I, and it just hit me, you know, we don't have forever to make connection with people. You know, just be, another guy texted me last night that I hadn't talked to him forever, and he was apologizing and saying, I hadn't talked to you. And I said, well, let's get together. You know, he lives in Shalimar. I live here. We can meet in Sandestin. He and his wife, Laura, and I can go over and we can just have dinner together and visit because, you know, life's short. You never know. So you get an opportunity to take advantage of that. Now, there are lies that need to be replaced with truth. And the truth helps us discover the power of God's word. And it can just wash over us and liberate us from everything in, in looking at the approval of people. Because you know you're already enough in Christ there is nothing, we said this last week, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or make him love you less because Jesus has already done it all. So it's not about being good, but it's just about grace, accepting the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus. So who are you? Look at the person next to you and say, who are you? Really, who are you? Listen. Okay, now look, don't, don't set a date or anything, okay? I'm just trying to help you here. I mean, you just met somebody there and you're going, hmm, who are you? No, no, <clears throat> let me finish this first, then you can talk after, okay? So you are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, prepared in advance for God to work in your life. You are an adopted child of God. You are blessed when you go in and blessed when you go out, the Bible says. The Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen for those in Christ. You are forgiven. And the Bible says that you're no longer a prisoner, but you are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and Jesus Christ. You are not what people think you are. 
what people say you are. You are who God says you are. And when you let that penetrate your heart and your thinking, then you step out of conflict and you step into joy and peace with Christ because you're his. You don't have to obsess about their opinions. You know, I made a decision a few years back. Hold that thought. Ah, that's really good. Aren't you thirsty? Tough. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> I made a decision a while back. We had two old cars, and we just kept driving. <coughs> we said, we don't care what the neighbors say. We may be a blight on the neighborhood, but we're, we've decided we want to not have debt. We want to just pay down our debt. We want to get out of debt. So we're just going to keep driving these old cars, right? And we kept, and they needed a paint job. I mean, they really looked bad when they parked in the parking lot, you know. Looked like, who's here today? What's going on out there, right? And so, but anyway, we kept driving them. Now, what happened was that eventually we did get a new vehicle, and it was a truck, and so it was for me. And so then Laura had to start driving my Yukon. She had a Yukon XL. We sold it. So we got the Yukon that I was driving, she started driving it. It was only 18 years old. It only had 220,000 miles on it. I had plans for that vehicle, but I'm not bitter. What I wanted to do was drive it for 20 years, right, as God intended. And then Laura got in it one day, and she was going behind Publix to be saved. She was going behind Publix, and the sun, at a certain time in the morning, the sun shines in your eyes, and what happened was that she didn't see, the, the building was white, but there was this dark shadow, and hiding there was one of those huge extended dumpster things, okay? I'm not talking about the little one, I'm talking about the big boy here, okay? And so what happens is she doesn't see it, and she clips the corner of my Yukon with that dumpster, and let me tell you, they don't give. Okay, it's a lot like hitting the tank. That's what happened, basically. She said to me, you might want to go back and check the dumpster, make sure it's okay. I said, it's okay, trust me. <laughs> so what happens is the car, we take it to the body shop, and they come and look at it, and they say, your car is totaled. I, everybody say, aw, yeah, I was brokenhearted. It's only 18 years old. It's 220,000 miles. I've got some more tread on those tires. Let's talk. But you know what happened? Laura got a new car. So now, <laughs> I'm really cautious <laughs> about, you know, if she gets to hankering for a new one, I'm going, don't hit a dumpster. Okay, we'll work something out. <laughs> Things will be okay. But, but the point is, we drove those old cars to pay off other debts. We had kids. We had school loans. We helped out. You know, we're those kind of parents because that's just the kind of people we are. You know what I'm saying? And so we were paying those things off, and we did that. But we made the decision, I don't care. I'm just going to do the right thing, and I'm going to please God. I'm accepted by God, and no one can steal my joy. No one can rob me of my purpose. No one can tell me who I am. No one can tell me whose I am. Every single struggle starts with the lie that we believe. But the power of God's word can liberate us from the lie and he can tell us the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Don't you want to be free today? Boy, I do. I don't want to live in the lie anymore. I want to live in the truth. Now, does that mean I'm perfect? No, nay, nay, no. I'm not perfect. You knew that anyway, right? But, but here's the deal. I'm not perfect, 
but I am pursuing. I'm not perfect, but I am pursuing God. And that's what he asked me to do. And that's what I want to do. Don't look for perfection. Look for pursuit. Because at the end of the day, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. And we can get stuck in it. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Safe. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We want to be good witnesses. We want to be relational. We want to connect with people. But Lord, we also want to live to please you. Help us to live in that balance. Help us to find that place where we're in that perfect center of your will. Help us to know you, to love you, to respond to you, to share you, to be your representatives wherever we go. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us those divine appointments this week. I pray that you would give us those opportunities to be witnesses. I pray that you would help us to be your hands and feet, your voice, your heart, your concern for people who are lost, people who are far from God. I pray that you would put us in a position where we might just say a word of encouragement. Lord, when you lead us to speak, I pray we'll speak. When you tell us to be silent, I pray we'll be silent and just let you do the work. Whatever it is, Lord, we just want to do our little part. And then we're going to trust you for the results. We're going to celebrate. There's no pressure on us. We're just going to trust you, and you are going to do whatever you want to in somebody else's life, and we get to watch it. Thank you. It's a privilege, and we're grateful. We pray, and all God's people said, amen.